1: International Speedway, the next stop on NASCAR Cup Series schedule, and one mile concrete oval that is known for being unforgiving to some who have challenged it, and since 2000. The track has been guarded by miles the monster but today on the show jimmy johnson is going to tell you in his own words how he has become the one to truly fear at dover hey everybody carolyn manna with you joined by austin dillon's former crew chief and nascar veteran slugger labby and hall of famer and dover winner dale jarrett dale let's start with you where would you rank dover among the most difficult tracks on nascar's schedule
2: Carolyn, I'm going to take it right to the top. Uh, it's just a, a physically demanding race uh, that requires so much of the driver because every single lap is almost like a qualifying lap. You have to attack this racetrack. If you don't, then you're going to find yourself not only getting past, but you're really not uh, giving good information to your crew chief to, to decide what changes to make. So you really have to attack. It's a roller coaster ride like no other that you've ever been on or, or can even imagine being on. And the car's not going to land, if you will, the same way every. Every time you drive off into turns one and three, and so you have something happening a little bit different. So uh, it, it's a fun racetrack as a driver, but I think there's so many things that make it so difficult throughout an afternoon. The best thing they ever did was cut it back to 400 miles from a driver's side because 500 uh, was, was very, very difficult, but it's still physically demanding and hard as a driver to get the car exactly where you want. So, Slugger, I'll turn it to you. Uh, probably only one crew chief, Chad Knauss, has a driver that's been up there happy a lot more times than not.
3: What are the kind of challenges that you face as a crew chief trying to give your driver what he's looking for? Absolutely, Dale. The track is ever-changing from the time we unload on Friday to the race is over on Sunday afternoon. The track just changes. Typically on Friday when you unload, the car is extremely tight on the splitter landing, as you said, going into turn one as the racetrack falls off into the gully. It's a very... Very, very difficult track to get a hold of. We only race on concrete four times a year, twice at Dover, twice at Bristol. It's it's a demanding track, much like you said, Dale, but the track is ever-changing. And then again, you got to convince your driver to hold his breath for 23 seconds to get you a good qualifying lap.
2: Yeah, and I think they're probably going to be holding their breath a little bit more this time with the reduced amount of downforce that they have versus what they had last year. So this could be a very, very exciting race to watch this weekend, Carolyn.
1: DJ, with you having previously won there, you say it's the toughest track just about on the schedule. Does that make that win especially rewarding for you?
2: <laughs> well, in that particular win, I, that wasn't the best car that I had there. I thought there were other races that I led a lot of laps I was going to win. But in this particular race, I actually did my best Austin Dillon impression and won on fuel mileage kind of <laughs> (laughs) So uh, uh, it was one of those days that things just kind of worked out in in that. But I I think that You know, as a driver, there are certain racetracks that you really appreciate when you've performed well. uh, You look at Darlington and and Dover is one of those tracks uh, that you know that you've done your job if you're able to go to victory lane.
1: We're going to discuss Austin Dillon's win and fuel mileage is going to be a topic on the show as well. But Dover is a place where Kyle Busch has managed to win twice. The driver of the 18, though, making some headlines this week for what happened in a press conference at Charlotte instead. Marty Snyder was at the Joe Gibbs shop earlier today. He spoke with his crew chief, Adam Stevens, following the team's second place showing.
4: Well, Carolyn, what a good week for Kyle Busch and uh, Adam Stevens and Joe Gibbs Racing past two weeks at Charlotte. But first, we're in the brand new studio here at Joe Gibbs Racing. It's kind of cool, isn't it, Adam? This is my first trip in here. This place (laughs) is impressive. (laughs) It looks just like the race shop floor, but it's just a TV studio, so that's pretty neat. So I do want to talk about Charlotte. Great performance for those two weeks. If I'd have told you going in, you'd have a win in the second place, I'm sure you would have taken that. What was the difference in performance, you think? I just think it's everybody pulling
5: together. You know, we had a big meeting with Coach and the whole team and the uh, whole shop, everybody, and, uh, you know, just kind of
4: reminded us that we're on the right track and uh, just to stay on course and uh, buckle down and good things will happen. What, so when, when that happens, it clearly was a step up in performance. You know, Even from the All-Star race to the 600, it looked like that. Where was the step up, you feel like, and where do where the gains need to be made for Joe Gibbs Racing, you think?
5: Well, at this day and age, at this level of motorsports, um, if you want to go fast, you have to work on everything that makes a car fast. And, and we don't stop, and we don't quit, and certainly uh, TRD and Toyota is a big part of that. And um, every facet of a race
4: car that makes it go is what we're working on. Is that something that can be replicated moving forward? Do you think what you guys found moving into Charlotte? Um, I think so. Um, I feel like uh, we have made
5: some gains setup-wise, and uh, communication between the teams is uh, certainly operating at a high level.
4: And uh, we'll see here this weekend at Dover. Is is it when when something like that happens? Is it one thing that makes a big difference? A lot of little things. How does that work? It's rarely
5: ever one thing. I just feel like um, you know every department's probably stepped up a little bit. Um, We're always working on things, always developing, always trying to bring something new. Um, And setup wise, you know, you can't get stagnant, you know, the things that made us go fast. The all-star race weren't necessarily the things that made us fast this past weekend. It's uh, adapting the tire to the racetrack
4: and the track conditions. So when Kyle passes Truex, are you thinking that's for the win at that point? Or are you thinking no way the three is going to make it all the way? You know, going into that run,
5: I thought there might be a couple people come top off and be on the edge of a fuel mileage race. And we were so far off, you know, I was wasn't really sure that anybody
4: could actually make it. But uh, three seemed pretty confident and uh, lo and behold, they did it. All right. So a lot of it has been made of Kyle's post race reaction in the media center after, you know, Austin wins and you guys finish second. What's your reaction to his post race reaction?
5: Well, you know, this was probably Kyle's uh, best chance to date to win at Charlotte in a points race. And, uh, you know, to have the 78 in your sights and chase them down is not a small task to do sure. at the end of the race. And uh, to get burnt on uh, fuel mileage, it, it stings. You know, it stung for me. It stung for the whole team. So, um, you know, I don't think it had anything to do with other than the disappointment of, of uh, not winning uh, and not capitalizing on your best chance.
4: Is there frustration building? I mean, I know everybody wants to get to victory lane. Obviously, you know, it's been 27 races, so it's been a while. Is there frustration building, or do you guys see it more as an opportunity now because of the speed you brought the last couple of weeks?
5: Well, I think there's definitely some frustration building. Um, You know, you want to win, and you certainly want to bring cars capable of winning, and I feel like we've been doing that for the majority of the year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you take a little bit of solace in the fact that you know it's only going to be a matter of time, but, uh, you know, you got to get there.
4: Could that be Dover this weekend? This is an awfully good track for, for Kyle and, and the 18 team. Yeah, we've run really well there in the past. Um, had cars capable of running uh, top two or three on multiple occasions. Um, so it's about putting the whole weekend together and executing. All right, Kyle Busch, Adam Stevens, certainly happy with what happened at Charlotte. They'd love one more spot. They might get it this weekend at Dover, Carolyn.
1: Marty, thank you. So we broke down Kyle Busch's performance this season. It looks like something out of Wall Street. Right now, his stock is up. Busch averaging 50 points over the last three races, but he's still searching for that first-year win of the year, of course. Slugger, when you look at this, how do you interpret those spikes in performance in those three-race pockets?
3: Well, to me, I would say that they've struggled, obviously, at Daytona and Talladega. If you look at the race 1 through 3 and race 7 through 9 – those are restricted play tracks, and they've struggled through there. So it's just amazing to me that a Gibbs car has not won a race yet in 2017. Uh, the new aero rules, the new body style that Toyota's brought out this year, the teams from Furniture Row are running good, and I'm sure they're taking some of that information that Cole Pern and the guys will offer up to them. But it's just amazing to me that they haven't won a race yet. But. Hitting that aero balance is really, really hard to do, and I'm sure as much time as Joe Gibbs Racing spends in a wind tunnel that Toyota gives them, they'll get this figured out very, very soon. And Joe Gibbs Racing always, always runs good on the concrete tracks at Dover and Bristol. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of the JGR guys goes to Victor Lane this weekend.
2: Yeah, you almost have these races now. You can't give up anything. I mean, it's almost you, you don't have to have a perfect race, but you have to be pretty close. Kyle Busch has been the one, I think, out of that organization that has had opportunities to put them to, put them in victory lane to this point. I think there's some struggles they've had. I really believe that TRD brought some more under the hood this past weekend too at Charlotte, and that's certainly a driver's best friend when you can do that. It, it makes up for a lot of things that that you. Uh, maybe suffering from uh, with a, a race car that doesn't handle quite as well. So I'm interested to see. I know that last two weekends were good for Kyle Busch at Charlotte. He's really good at Dover. I think the lower downforce at Dover favors him because of the way that he drives a race car. Uh, Matt Kenseth always runs extremely well there. So we'll see what happens this weekend. But I really think they're making gains. And don't you know, it's only been two years ago. Whenever we were talking in 2015, almost to this very point, that they were really struggling. Didn't have things going. Kyle Busch came back. They turned things around that Charlotte went on. Kyle Busch won the championship. So this is a team and an organization.
3: They're so big slugger that they have so many resources. They figure it out quicker than some others. Absolutely. Dale. You can't keep them down for long. That's for sure. And uh, one thing I understand, uh, three of the six Gibbs cars last week at Charlotte had a new spec chassis. And I believe all six Gibbs related cars this weekend at Dover will have new chassis. Technology changes every day. And like I said, they will get back to where they need to be. And it's just hard work.
1: In simplest terms, Slugger, what's the biggest difference with that new chassis?
3: Well, it could be a lot of things. The aero department goes to work. The kinematics department goes to work. There's many things that goes into a different chassis. You have a lot of rules, and you have to work within those rules, but there are gains to be made, uh, more so – Outside the body, underbody as well, for sure. And it's just definitely, it takes a lot of work and effort. And uh, you spend a lot of time in the wind tunnel developing these new chassis, these new body builds. It's not just something you just decide to do. You got to prove it out because you only get one chance a weekend to race, Dale, and you got to make sure you bring your best stuff every weekend.
2: So when we look at this, I know tires can also change that, uh, that with a lower down force, Goodyear's changed a lot of tires along the way. So that obviously affects things that you do, fewer sets of tires uh, in thinking from a crew chief standpoint. Did that
3: come into play at Dover this weekend? Sure, absolutely. Ty- tire management is key. You only got really four sets to get you through happy hour. And you know, go back to Charlotte, the three car ran 71 laps on a set of tires. Maybe Goodyear and NASCAR, will say, may- maybe that tire was just too rigid. Mm-hmm. We need to make something softer that falls off so these guys can't run 71 laps and stretch fuel out or simply go to a smaller fuel cell.
1: So, DJ, just quickly, are you saying that you are going to need to see what JGR does in the afternoon at Dover before you can really assess yeah. what kind of gains have actually been made
2: yeah, that's exactly right, Carolyn, because a, a racetrack, Charlotte Motor Speedway, is totally different during the day. But Dover, uh, even though it's concrete and doesn't heat up quite as much as what the asphalt does, uh, it will still be a change. And, and I think race cars do different things during the day. And so if they've got things closer to figure it out, then we're going to see them perform at a high level this weekend. Otherwise, uh, it may be a situation that the nighttime and the cooler temperatures at night and a cooler track temps mask a little bit of their problem. But I really believe they're on an upper climb right now
1: okay we've got a lot to talk about today coming up on the show we're gonna take a final look at Austin Dillon's win and see how fuel mileage has sparked a debate in the NASCAR universe Chase Elliott's gonna look to become the second first-time winner in as many weeks what chance does he actually have at pulling that off at a track like Dover and we're gonna look back on Kyle Larson's near miss at Dover just a year ago and how the way that he raced earned him respect in the garage Welcome back, everybody, on this day in NASCAR history 31 years ago. Following Terry Labani's crash with two laps to go at Riverside, Tim Richmond and Darrell Waltrip furiously racing each other back to the yellow flag to determine the winner... It would be Waltrip who passed Richmond in the final turn to take the checkered flag. And from one great finish to another, last spring at Dover, Kyle Larson battled Matt Kenseth over the final laps in one of the best duels of the season. In the end, it was Kenseth who was able to hold off Larson, but it was the way that Larson had conducted himself on the track that had everybody talking at the time
2: you'd better believe there's going to be some action going on here. We're talking about Matt Kenseth and Kyle Larson. They restart on the front row. Green flag back in the air. Kyle Larson does not come up to speed. He gets a shove from Kurt Busch. Matt Kenseth will lead him back to turn number one. And there's a challenge for the lead. Kyle Larson further back. Chase Elliott is flying heavy-duty pressure.
0: 24 with a big and yeah, of momentum here. All clear. Second back in three, and it's Elliott who grabbed the spot. Oh, and now Larson's going to
2: move Elliott up the track. Elliott swings wide off the turn. Here's Larson back to the inside. You you go, point away. You got a one here. Figure it out. Let's go get that 20. Ten to go. by seven over the 42. It's your mark. There is left traffic, and Kyle Larson smells an opportunity. There you go, Lee. I'm talking to you. Kyle Larson is there. He is on the back bumper. Back to go and give Kenseth the tap. Up the bank he goes, Kenseth. Larson to the bottom of the racetrack. Kenseth though battles back on the outside. One to go. Here they come now, pouring off turn number four. Kenseth posted his first top five of the year last week at Kansas. Today, Matt Kenseth gets the victory on the Monster Mile. Yeah, guys. That
4: Our is coming,
6: I, told you. I had gotten close
7: to his bumper a couple of times. Um, I maybe even got into him once, but uh, you know, I didn't want to do anything, anything dirty. I was just gonna try and race him as hard as I could to, uh, with, without getting into him to beat him. Um, you know, now he's he's sitting in victory lane and I'm not, so um, maybe I'd I, do something a little bit different, but but nothing, nothing crazy to uh, you know take him out or anything, but uh, maybe use the bumper a little bit, but um, I don't I don't know.
1: So that was just about a year ago as we welcome our Nate Ryan into the program as well. Nate, start with you on this. Does Kyle Larson need to be a little bit more aggressive? Have you seen enough since that time a year ago?
6: I think he could be more aggressive, Carolyn. And I would point to two races this year where he could have been more aggressive, where he finished second, and that would be Atlanta and Phoenix. Uh, Atlanta, he, he let that one get away because he, he essentially picked the wrong lane after a restart mm-hmm. with Brad Kislowski Keselowski wins the race. And then Phoenix, he had a chance to pay back Ryan Newman, who, of course, cleaned him out at the 2014 playoff race to make the championship round in Miami. Uh, Larson had a shot of payback and elected not to choose to take it, DJ. And he has remained pretty steadfast that... He doesn't have any regrets about racing this way. He said, again, recently he wouldn't do anything differently against Kenseth at Dover last year. But I think if he wants to win more races, he's probably going to have to play a little bit rougher.
2: Yeah, but I think also the the fact that you could make a case for Kyle Larson is that I think a lot of drivers go by the mantra that I'll race you the way that I want to be raced. And so if you're going to do that, you have to be ready to take it on the other side of that. And that could cost you a lot in the end if you go making people mad too much. And I'll make a good example that you can be successful without having to wreck people. You can win races and that would be with Jimmy Johnson who has, I think, 82 wins and seven championships and very seldom have we seen him really have to wreck someone. And and anybody can go spin somebody out and I understand you can be aggressive without doing that just like Kyle Larson was talking about there. Dover's a tough place to try to get too aggressive because next thing you know you get that guy out of shape, he comes down and hits you and you're both torn up and somebody else wins the race so I think that Kyle I personally think that Kyle Larson's is doing things pretty much the right way I, I really love to watch him race he drives hard and he's not making people mad and if you can keep from if you can win races and keep from making people mad then you're doing a lot of good
3: well for me he finished second that day but he won a lot He won a lot of respect from all the drivers and crew chiefs in the garage. Now, I've seen Carl Larson race some dirt. He's really aggressive when the points aren't on the line. So that tells me he's a really smart racer that understands points and how they work. But like I said, I've seen him on the dirt, and he gets after it.
1: So, Slugger, if you you earn that base layer of respect, particularly as a young driver within that NASCAR community, how far does that go moving forward? Does that offer you the luxury of maybe being more aggressive down the line once you've established the fact that, hey, for the most part, I'm going to try to be clean?
3: Well, they, the drivers respect you more. They race you different in, in traffic. They, they give you more room, more so than other drivers do. And it's just a, a gentleman's agreement. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. And what he did at day Dover definitely pays off dividends and is paying off this year. Carl Larson has been simply phenomenal at every style track from Daytona to Martinsville to Charlotte. He's been really the guy everyone watches, and he's not afraid to run the bottom groove, the top groove, wherever there's speed. Carl Larson will go find it.
2: Yeah, and if you do that along the way, and sometimes you either do make a mistake or it is intentional, they have a hard time differentiating, which that may be, so that they're not quite as mad at you.
6: Just to play devil's advocate, DJ, I I understand that you want to garner a good reputation, particularly if you're a younger driver, but can you get a reputation for being too nice, for being too... I, you know, I guess, uh, allowing. Mark Martin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like you'll, you'll never take that, that shot to, to go for a win. I, Guys, yeah. they can rough, rough you up because
2: of it. That can certainly happen and there have been drivers uh, through their careers that have gotten that uh, and I raced against some that you knew things that you could do there but I don't think Kyle Larson has that. I think that they know that, that if he's pushed too far then, then they might get a different Kyle Larson than what they really uh, expect in, in certain situations but what I think they that drivers understand right now, he's going to race them extremely hard and get everything that he can, but I don't think that he's someone they think they can take advantage of at this point in time.
1: Yeah, great great question by Nate. Um, coming up, Austin Dillon and the three-team playing the fuel strategy game to perfection at Charlotte. Some have questioned, though, the legitimacy of that victory. Our experts know a thing or two about this. They're going to give us our take on that next. After one of the biggest weekends in a while, Richard Childress Racing welcoming close to 600 employees to the race shop yesterday to celebrate the success that they have had this season so far, most recently, of course, with Austin Dillon's win at Charlotte
8: catching up with Austin midweek, and he still hasn't run out of gas. Got a lot going on for you. You got to uh, do so many things since the win on Monday morning. Take us through the trip to New York City and what you've been up to since.
9: Man, we've just been wide open and really enjoying this whole win. Um, uh, New York City was great. We got to close the bell in the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, a bucket list that I didn't even have on my list, and that was an, a cool thing to experience with my grandfather. Uh, got to do a little champagne toast with him and everybody at Coca-Cola. and. Wow, um, just been a, a blast so far. Getting to see these guys today was probably my favorite part. Just seeing all the guys that I've grown up around and watched them put so much effort into these cars and to just thank them and reward them with this trophy, it feels good. I'm
8: gonna go back to New York City for a minute. You ran into Sato, the Indy 500 winner at the same time? Yeah, that was just fate right there. Um, we had stayed late for a dinner and uh, we're coming back to the airport,
9: and um, one of the guys with us was like, I think that's Takuma And like, really? That'd be awesome to get a picture, you know? And his, his guy was like, I think that's Austin Dillon. And then uh, we got together,
8: took a picture, and showed each other our bling, and uh, it was a pretty cool opportunity. Another uh, significant thing happening here today, the families of the service members that were on your cars this weekend to honor uh, Memorial Day, they got windshields. Tell us about that.
9: Yeah, we presented the windshields to all the families, and um, I feel like I'm a part of the Harris family now. Um, they've been around uh, this past week and, and then coming today, and they presented me with some really special a knife from Joshua Harris. And just to uh, be a part of that uh, Navy SEAL family that are true heroes, you know, those guys are what keep us. Enable us to be able to go race and uh, have the freedom. We have freedom isn't free and um, That's just the truth and to be able to give back a little bit of happiness to them and to know that uh, Joshua Harris helped take us to victory lane. It was pretty cool and um, I was talking to one of his team guys And I told him I, I said man. You're right. He was great at everything. He won a coke 600 his first time out It was pretty cool. So um, it was a special special
8: weekend and through some of those friendships you actually receive photos of Joshua that you shared with the family for the first time yeah. on your phone?
9: Yeah, they had ne- never seen some of those pictures. It was pretty cool, because how small the world is. I've kind of buddied up with a couple of the SEAL guys I've met over the years, and it's uh, it's a tight-knit world. And um, it's it's cool to see how it all came together and played out. And even back to the flag back here that um, the Harris family presented my grandfather a year or so ago, and it's been in his office for a long time. And we decided to put this paint scheme together because of that piece of art. So it. Uh, is really cool.
8: So, where does it go from here? I imagine you'll invite them to a few more races and keep that relationship alive.
9: Yeah, they're coming to a. They're some of them are based in Atlanta, so they'll be coming to Atlanta race, I think. And they uh, said they'll be coming to any race they can get to. So, it's exciting to have them a part of this RCR family. They're from right here in Lexington, North Carolina, so I'm sure they'll
8: be around the shop. So, as soon as the luncheon was over, of course, everyone back to work around here, and Austin, the three team will be this weekend at Dover. but you've got the win now, and you and Justin trying to build something toward the playoffs. How will Dover play out a little differently than it might have if you hadn't won?
9: um you know dover's we're fighting for bonus points at this point for the chase, and that's what we're focused on is is trying to get more wins and bonus points so Dover's uh, been a good pass track for me, and uh, I enjoy going there. really feel like you can find speed moving around the track, and uh, it's going to be exciting. I know that a lot of pressure has been knocked off, but we still got a lot we need to do to accomplish.
8: And the fact that uh, you made the switch over last week and you're going forward now with a win showing up there, how much pep will be in your step?
9: I mean, I think I'm still gliding right now. I don't even think I've hit the ground. So uh, when we get there, we'll start working on that step. <laughs>
1: And that of course brings us to you slugger you were at that celebration you parted ways with the organization only last Monday so just days before this big first career cup series win for Austin Dillon you were his crew chief and now you're not what was going through your mind when he won.
3: I was just overcome with joy, and I, honestly, I got choked up up on the spotter saying I was spotting for J.J. Ailey, and I'll be honest, with the last five laps, I didn't watch J.J. Ailey in the seven car. <laughs> I was simply watching that three car. Uh, I left there on Monday, and it was a mutual agreement. Everything was perfect. Uh, we're still great friends. There's no uh, animosity whatsoever, but just to see that three car go to victory lane, that, that's my biggest regret, like I said, was not being able to take that three car to victory lane. So watching all those guys come out to the grass and meet Austin and just so excited. Most of those guys on that team have been with Austin in his whole career. And for them guys to celebrate like that was just, phenomenal to me. I was overcome with joy and I just couldn't wait to get down to victory lane. So myself and Andy Houston, we made our our way from the spotter stand down through the grandstands, through the grass, and we rushed into victory lane. And the first guy I seen was Richard Childress. And I gave him a big old hug and I said, man, thanks for everything you've done for me. This is re- very rewarding for me. And he thanked me. And then the next thing I did was walked up to the race car. Austin was still sitting inside the car. And I said, dude, you won your first race. Can you believe that? And he looked at me and said, I saved enough gas. Can you believe that? I won the race. So it It was just, to me, it was great to walk around the car, shake hands with all 19 of those road guys that have been with Austin for a while, and I believe all but one have never been to Victory Lane before in a Monster Energy Cup race, so it was very rewarding for them. And, And I walked out of Victory Lane, and I told myself, Dale, I said, okay, this just closes the book on my career at RCR. To go out just four days later for those guys to win the race in a car that I knew a lot about, helped build that car, help prepare it, help dictate the setup, uh, it, it, it's meant everything to me. And at this stage of my career, it's probably one of the most rewarding things that, I, that have happened to me in a long time.
2: Well, Slunger, I think it says a lot about you and your character, which we, we, we've we been around each other sure. for a lot of years. But for a lot of people would have a lot of animosity, maybe, but that this all happened as you kind of set things up. But you have to feel pretty good, and I can tell that you do, because it's not like they came in. And and in just a few days, changed everything
3: you had worked to get them in a position to run this well. Sure. And talking with the guys after they ran the setup, where it was really close to what we finished second with in the All-Star Open. And they didn't change much. They knew that they had a good package. We had learned a lot the week prior at Kentucky doing a Goodyear tire test. And we finally thought that we had learned where our aero balance needed to be. Mm-hmm. And that carried over into Charlotte. So uh, just glad to be a small part of them guys going to victory lane it, it meant a lot and it's something i will never ever forget people have asked me why aren't you mad you should be in victor lane i'm like i was there they wanted me to stay but i chose to walk out because my career at RCR was over with and i felt great that austin finally won his first race and all those guys to go to victor lane it was just the best thing ever
1: yeah. what did he say to you in those moments?
3: Yeah, he did. He looked at me and said, can you believe I saved enough fuel and won a race? <laughs> yeah. And we, we have struggled with that in the past. I believe uh, we run out of gas this year in a Daytona 500 running six with a lap and a half to go. And three times last year we had run out of gas, just being aggressive and uh, didn't quite understand exactly the best way to save fuel. And obviously, Austin figured that out Sunday night and went to victory lane.
1: Yeah, I just forgot that you had mentioned that because I was so wrapped up in everything else that you were saying. That sounds like a wonderful moment for you. You were able to share in that joy. But because he said, can you believe I I was able to save enough fuel. That brings us to something that's been hotly debated uh, by NASCAR fans and inside NASCAR over this past week, which is, is a fuel mileage strategy win in some way lucky and not indicative of the skill that's required to win that kind of race? Is having Jimmy Johnson run out of fuel the same thing as maybe beating him straight up? Some fans think that that's not true. How much validity is there to that argument that it's just not quite the same thing?
3: I can assure you a win's a win. It doesn't matter how you get it. However you can get a win, you better get it. But to me, winning a fuel mileage race, Dale, is very, very hard. It takes a lot of discipline from the driver to if you tell him back up the corner 200 foot, you don't know if he's backing up 100 foot or 250 feet, and you're trying to implement all this information in the computer. You're trying to believe the tools you have in front of you, and you just hope to God you don't run out of gas. I've had it happen where we had a chance to win the race, and you run out of gas simply by just not saving enough fuel. Obviously, it happened to the 48. Uh, Austin has figured out a few things on how to save fuel, but I'll tell you, it's, it takes discipline. When they, when they pitted with 70 to go, as soon as they dropped the jack, the crew chief said, save fuel now. And from that time, they saved fuel majority of the whole run where Jimmy Johnson. he started saving fuel at lap 360, and that wasn't enough time.
2: Yeah, and just as other drivers uh, tried to make adjustments to their cars to, to win at the end of a race, uh, as you pointed out, they had to start in that fuel saving mode. Now first off, let me say, and I hope that I'm not as red as I feel inside because it gets me very angry when people start talking about that drivers luck into races and things. I don't care. You have to put yourself in that position for that to even happen to begin with. You have to stay on the lead lap all night. You have to have a fast enough car to be able to save the fuel because if the car isn't handling good then you really can't save the fuel. So there's a lot of things that go into it and then the driver has to do so many different things behind the wheel to make all of this happen. So you, you really it, it goes to the point I can understand if fans of Jimmy Johnson were mad because he ran out of gas or Kyle Busch made a great run there at the end and he wasn't able to get his first points paying a win at Charlotte Motor Speedway or that looked like Martin Truex because he led the entire night didn't get his win. So if you're upset about that, that's one thing. But don't talk about somebody lucking in totally to a race because there's so many things that have to go into it. And they did their job of getting themselves in a position. Very few cars, drivers, or teams could get themselves in a position to even consider that happening there. So when you do that, it's just another part, another element of racing. You know, we could go through all different types of sports. The Hail Mary at the end of a football game. Is that luck? Yeah, part of it is luck. But you have to have some of that to win at whatever it is. Nobody ever considers that uh, taking away a three-point shot that may have been banked in instead of switched in. So uh, (laughs) there's a lot of things that go into all of this. But Austin Dillon did a tremendous job because I can assure you there's nothing easy from a driver's standpoint that when you're – taught. And all that you ever think about is pushing the gas as hard as you can for as long as you can. And to have to all of a sudden do something totally different, it takes a different mindset and different set of skills.
1: There's a lot of things that are coming in right now on Twitter. Just real quick, Slugger. Lots of people are saying this is an unpopular opinion, but I love fuel mileage races. Somebody else said, I love fuel mileage races because they produce a prize winner. And then we just had a tweet from Jimmy Johnson where he said, fuel mileage races have never been my thing. (laughs) There are some drivers who are better at it than others, and there are Some drivers like the seven time champ who don't particularly care for it but can win in many, many other ways?
3: Well, to me, Dale, you got to give Austin credit. When Martin Truex Jr. pitted with 32 to go, Jimmy Johnson took the lead. The three car of Austin Dillon was five seconds behind at that time, and he had to catch up five seconds. And still save gas. Yes. Takes a lot of discipline. Still back up the entry. Don't use no brakes. Roll through the corner. Ease into the gas. And still catch Jimmy Johnson, which is not easy to do at any time. But definitely, uh, Austin has learned a lot. And in today's world, with the stage racing the way it is and the way the playoff points are, if it's not your day, you got to come up with a plan B. And sometimes plan B is getting aggressive and taking chances. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. doesn't. But obviously, uh, when you get the win it's a good deal.
2: Yeah. And Jimmy Johnson can do most anything that he wants to at any time. I think with a little more heads up, as far as earlier in that run, if they would have told Jimmy Johnson, he might've even been able to continue enough speed and save enough fuel. But you told us a story earlier today about maybe how Austin learned some of that from the Texas, a misfortune you had at the beginning of that race, but you took it to learn some things and and teach
3: Austin something about saving fuel. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dale. It was a bad day at Texas. We it never happens, but it happened to us. We had a part failure on the pace lap leaving Pitt Road, and we had to go to the garage and change some parts. When we came back out, we were 12 laps down. And we told ourselves, we need to try to make up as much as we can. So obviously, we went out and twice during that race, we ran 71 and 72 laps under green, saving fuel. We we preached to Austin how to do it, how many feet to back up. And he did a really good job understanding how to save fuel at that race, making the best of a bad day. But what we did do was when we got back to the shop, we took all that information from the uh, engine control unit and dissected all that information and tried to to get the, the good points and the bad points that Austin was doing saving gas, and that young man Wow. Has always been open to criticism and always wants to learn. He's never shies away from work. Everyone calls him the, the golden child and all that stuff. Let me assure you, Dale, that kid puts in the effort. He is a racer. He is not a spoiled brat, spoil brat. He puts in the work. He gets it. And a lot of times the criticism he takes is not popular from myself or other engineers, but he takes it well, and he strives to get better. But that day in Texas had a lot to do with him winning Sunday night. That's right.
1: exactly what our Parker Quigerman said on the show a couple of days ago, Slugger, who's raced against him, and said, I can assure you, He really puts the work in, and you, of course, would know. DJ, I know you're really hot about this. I just want to throw you one other idea, and I realize I may be stepping right into the line den here, but somebody just tweeted, fuel mileage races are boring. Okay, and we've talked about this idea that what is cool for a driver and a team and a crew chief doesn't necessarily entertain the fans at certain tracks. Right. Is there anything to that argument that, hey, fans deserve to maybe have it be a little bit more exciting at the end of these races, even though the teams may be doing a whole heck of a lot of work? I'm not sure fans really see the payoff of that.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to assure you, drivers don't want it to come down to that either. You don't, you want to race, and you want to race hard all the time. But there are situations that are different. As I said, every sport has different times that, that you have to do something. You have to call an audible and do something totally different. So if this was happening uh, every week or every other week or something like that, then, yeah, we'd need to look at something, you know, like make the fuel, sm- fuel sales even smaller than what they are now because they have been downsized. So there are things that would be looked at there. But it doesn't happen that often and it just adds another element and again I understand if your driver didn't get it done that it didn't make I thought it made for some very compelling moments late in that race when we were looking at was Jimmy Johnson going to be able to hang on was Austin Dillon going to be able to save enough fuel was he going to pass Jimmy Johnson if they both had enough fuel to get there and we had two drivers with Kyle Busch and Martin Truex charging trying to catch those drivers at the end so there are a lot of things that go into it strategy came into play for the 78 and the 18 to pit midway through their run to get their tires and their fuel to have enough time to try to run those two drivers down or others that may were going to be trying that. So yes, it's not for everybody. And again, if it happened all the time, i certainly understand that. I promise you the drivers, they want to race wide open as much as they possibly can. And and it can be a little frustrating, but 600 miles, a lot of things happened. And and, uh, I think it made for an outstanding ending.
1: The Slugger, the facts are the facts, and Austin Dillon got that win. A win is a win, as you guys say, and now he's in the playoffs. You know him very well. You were just his crew chief a couple of days ago. What do you think is possible for him and this team in the playoffs now that they have secured that spot, whether some fans like it or not?
3: Well, there's one thing I know about Austin Dillon, Dale. He thrives off momentum. Uh, we've had some good runs and it would just continue to, to carry on and on and on and on. So he really, really thrives by that. And he likes it when people are on his shoulders and not talking bad about him. So this win right here is huge for him. Personally and for the company, uh, it was just great for for Richard to have two cars now in the chase. I yeah. believe they're the only orga- major organization with two cars that are locked in the chase, and that's almost hard to believe. That yeah. Gibbs hasn't had a victory yet this year. Stuart Haas has only had one victory, but with the 41 car and Kurt Busch and Jimmy Johnson has, has been the only winner for Hendrick. So it's really really surprising that RCR is actually leading the totem pole right now. Yeah,
1: yeah and their young driver in the face of the organization leading the charge. All right, what do you get after running 600 miles at Charlotte? How about a date with Miles the Monster? We're going to examine the challenges that await the drivers heading to Dover next. It's a place where Jimmy Johnson is very, very frightening. The 10-time Dover winner explaining his success at one of the toughest tracks in all of racing. His own words on that next. And there have been many monster moments over the years at Dover. We've selected five that probably made a few drivers wish they would have stayed home that day. We'll bring you those two when we come back. The Verizon IndyCar Series is right here on NBCSN. Next stop is Fort Worth where a wild ride awaits at the New Look Texas Motor Speedway. The Rain Guard Water Sealer 600, that's Saturday, June 10th, right here on NBCSN. And how about this? Indy 500 champ Takuma Sato in Texas yesterday to promote the upcoming race, of course. In the meantime, he paid a visit to the Dallas Cowboys training facility as well as a local high school. He actually surprised a teacher who is also a very big racing fan. They shared a glass of milk together. The Indy 500 winner. How about that? Takuma Sato led... 17 laps in his win last Sunday. That's the most that he has led in a race in nearly two years. Jimmy Johnson knows something about leading laps. He has led 3,093 at Dover alone. That is more than 26 drivers in this year's field have led in their entire careers. With 10 wins, it is his house and Jimmy Johnson knows it.
7: Dover International Speedway is called the monster. Everybody knows this place can jump out and bite anybody. It's a one-mile track. Not too big, not too small. Right in the middle.
0: New leader, 48.
7: And that's where you'll end up racing. Right in the middle.
6: Really nice work, Jimmy.
7: Because traffic gets ugly.
0: He gets into the back of Hamlet, and they will clip Kurt Busch.
7: And pit road becomes panicked. Hold on, hold on, hold on.
0: Stop, stop, stop. The stuck in the car. Too
7: fast on pit road. Nothing would make me enjoy racing on this concrete. But if you slay the beast.
0: Make it
2: ten times.
7: You find yourself right in the middle of a monster celebration.
2: Is the
7: Monster Master. Good afternoon from Dover
2: Downs Raceway.
7: This concrete bowl has been grinding up race cars since 1969 when Richard Petty won the first two starts.
2: Long live the legend. Long live the
7: king. I also won my first two starts on this high banked, overgrown short track. Johnson sweeps the monster mile. That was my rookie season in 2002. I don't take it lightly comparing my stats to the king, but my birthday race, the NASCAR race the same week I was born was Richard Petty's 1975 win at Dover.
0: And the cheers ring out for the man the fans call, King Richard.
7: On this track, the seven-time champion won seven times.
0: Richard Petty, Jimmy was tied with him for most wins at
2: Dover. Now the record is his alone.
7: Please excuse me if I get swept up talking about Dover. I've won here ten times, the most of anywhere I've run. I don't say that to boast. I say that because Dover embodies a brand of racing that makes me feel at home. Motorcycles and off-road trucks is where I started, and when I started in California, I looked up to Rick Johnson. Rick was one of the models that taught me the feel for racing.
0: Oh, oh, Jimmy Johnson! Oh, look at
7: that! that. Unbelievable! Yeah, on the heat racer, I went for a good spill, and it left me a little dingy up until I got in the car, and things started coming back to me.
8: Jimmy Johnson, watch this,
7: folks. He is gonna be one happy 19-year-old. On two wheels, the bike is an extension of your body. Off-road, the train tests your agility. That was my adventure, years before I experienced stock car racing. And I tell you, I can't be more happy than anyone else in the entire world. By nature, race car drivers like a big challenge. I believe no stock car oval has corners and a mix of elevations that match that off-road feel quite like Dover. Let's go rock and roll. Simple boys, let's grind it out. The turns are steeped at 24 degrees. Straights at 9 degrees also keep you on edge. You feel what you're doing, man? Nice and smooth. By its design, Dover becomes a slalom within the confines of a concrete cage
2: fight. Gang down the hill, run us on the apron. Oh, we're done, I'm good. I know you're pissed, talk to me. Oh, it's all oh, down, down. down. Running Dover
7: is off-road, out of your mind racing, on an oval. Phew. not too tame, not too wild. Oh my God. Right in the middle. Tell oh, you, man. Off-road, your throttle as much as your steering is your control, so. Feather the throttle and fight the wheel to find your angle for the straight. Four times a lap, 400 times around to find your angle of entry into victory lane.
1: All right, so the question is, DJ, and this is something that was posed on NBCSports.com. Actually, Nate Ryan's going to be back with us in just a little bit. Given Jimmy Johnson's history at this track, Are you taking Jimmy Johnson this weekend or the rest of the field?
2: Oh, my goodness. Uh, It'd be hard not to take Jimmy Johnson. I mean, he was made for this racetrack, or it was made for him. Uh, All of the things that he said there are just so true. Go back to the opening of this show, and there were three words that I said that a driver has to do to be successful at this racetrack, or has to have, and you have to attack, and it's physically demanding, Mm -hmm. and that... Talks about Jimmy Johnson right there. He's ready and willing and able to attack this racetrack. And I think all of those things that he did growing up with the motorcycles, the off-road racing, you get that feel as a driver. I never did any of that, but it sure feels like that the whole racetrack is falling out from underneath you as you enter the corner. So Jimmy understands what it's like to feel that landing, gets it in the right spot. He really knows how to attack, and he's in such good physical condition that at the end of 400 miles, he's
3: probably a little bit more clear about what he wants to do and that brings victories to him and as a crew chief i'll say everything i agree with everything you said but as a crew chief he's in really good race cars too hendrick motorsports brings some really good equipment to that track uh chad canales has a way with jimmy when he needs a little bit more out of jimmy he'll tell him a different lap time than what he ran he'll tell him like the leaders are running (laughs) three times faster a little i need a little more out of you buddy and jimmy and chad will have a nice little conference on the radio uh and chad knows just enough to get Jimmy's blood pressure up to get a little more out of him when he needs it. So Chad does a really good job torquing Jimmy up at the right times and (laughs) get a little more speed out of that car. All
1: right, we're going to have more on Hendrick, too, in just a little bit, but a solid case made by all Uh, DJ and Slugger both know what it's like to race at this track. Of course, when we come back, we're going to have them really get into this and examine these tough challenges at this one-mile feast of a speedway. That's next. Welcome back, everybody. So, Dover, the next stop on the NASCAR schedule, one mile concrete oval. It is known for being pretty tough to some of the best drivers in the world that try to challenge it since 2000. It has been guarded by that guy right there, Miles the Monster. Okay, so in the last segment, DJ and Slugger, we talked about why Jimmy Johnson has had so much success there. We heard from him in his own words. Even he has had trouble there at the past, despite the fact that he's got so many wins to prove it. From a Crucius perspective, a driver's perspective and DJ we can start with you on this when it comes down to racing what is it where is it that this place is actually so tough
2: well there are a number of things I mean the, the track surface itself the entry and exit of the corners but Slugger let's start somewhere that everybody's going to have to have something to do with throughout the day and that's getting onto to pit road we've seen this over the years and it's become more difficult now uh, as some rules have been changed but we look at many times here the driver's the uh, the... The things that they do in trying to get onto pit road—you're going from basically 170 miles an hour at the end of the back straightaway, trying to not lose any time—and you can see all of these drivers, really good race drivers, Denny Hammond, here's Matt Kenseth years ago. So trying to get slowed down and, and onto pit road, we see all of these things. We're not even talking about once they get onto the pit road, how many of them speed at that point. So the challenges that you face there.
3: You're right. Dover is by far the hardest track to get on pit road under green. Basically, NASCAR came up with a rule this week and said that orange box, which is the- the the pit road commitment box in the past you used to have two tires either on or below it now this week effective for dover it's all four tires we saw at richmond how much trouble that was i believe there was six penalties in that race and it definitely made for a challenge but what happens is the the cars are running so fast as you know they start slowing down at the bridge getting into turn three and they got all they can do to start slowing down they start wheel hopping down shifting and it's definitely a challenge for them but when they get to that orange box they're running 35 miles an hour. That's pit road speed. So you've been out there running for for 90 laps, and all of a sudden the crew chief says, okay, pit next time, bye. You have to have your act together just to get to the box. And once you get... To the box, you got to tell yourself, "Hey, I got to run 35 miles an hour, which is hard to do, especially if you're all the way down and turn one side of pit road." Yeah,
2: and as a driver there, so you were just talking about it. you've been out there for a long time. Your, your brakes have started to fade a little bit, so you're trying to get that. You're trying to downshift. Your tires are worn out, so there are just so many things that work against you. But all that you can think about is getting there and making up any time that you possibly can. But the whole key there is don't cost yourself. You know, we saw everybody or a lot of people making mistakes right there. Not a un- done to mention the, the pit road speeding penalties, but a number of drivers that see that they're just not going to make it, they get slowed down and then they have to go around at a reduced rate, an entire lap that just costs you so much more time. So you're better off just putting that aside, say I'll get here the best way that I can and not cost myself or my team anything. So now the challenges of the racetrack itself. From a driver's standpoint, this is just truly uh, a great roller coaster ride. Jimmy Johnson did a great job of explaining about uh, how it falls off uh, going down into turn one, uh, again you're running 170 miles per hour down into this corner and the challenges that you face are are the car pointing in the right direction and understanding if you're going to run a fast time and, and attack this racetrack almost like a qualifying lap each lap then you've got to really get down and be back to the throttle but it's hard to make a car do that a lot of times
3: absolutely going through the corners at dover the driver will be in and out of the gas two or three times just to get the front end to point so what you see a lot dale as the race goes on you'll see drivers virtually start moving up the track and why they do that for there's a little more grip but you don't have to use no brakes and when you don't use no brakes your car will definitely turn a lot better but uh, it does hurt your right front tire because there's no rubber up there so if you're the first car up there you will abuse your right front tire and sometimes you'll pop a tire and go in the fence like the initial with the 18 car a while ago.
2: Yeah and we see that that team sometimes too even trying to get setup wise if I'm telling you my crew chief uh, on the final practice that hey my car is just not turning in the center a quick adjustment for that is to add a little bit of camber to the right front now, that's a good fix yeah, yeah that feels great uh, from the driver's standpoint then the next day all of a sudden you're wearing out the inside of that tire next thing you know you blow it tire, and I promise you I've done it before, blow that tire, and hit the wall there, hurts quite a bit. So there's so many things that you have to be aware of, in attacking this racetrack and understanding what you have to do to to get the speed out of it, uh, you bring in so many other things. So as a crew chief, then, when you hear a driver say, okay, I need this adjustment or something or... uh, do
3: you even dare take air out of the right front tire to try to help situations? Well, typically you don't want to. It, it definitely will help your car turn, but I think the big challenge this weekend at Dover will be the entry speed. With the reduced aero package that we have, mm-hmm. corner speeds have been up 15 miles an hour on entry, so I think the drivers are going to have a hard time carrying so much speed down in the hill and uh, getting loose in and then hitting the splitter in a car won't turn. They're going to have their hands full for a while till they get it figured out, but uh, Dover is definitely a unique track, and it's a driver's track. Uh, if you don't want to be at Dover, you shouldn't go because you have, when <laughs> You walk through that gate, you better want to be there because you're going to have to earn every penny. And I've been there in the past before, like you said, that when it was 500 miles, uh, you would run, it seemed like for two hours you look up and it was only lap 95. So yes. it definitely makes for a long day <laughs> in Dover. Uh, it, it's a track that can drive you nuts if your car's not handling very well because there's no place to hide. I mean, yeah. it, it, you're virtually in the way all the time, especially down the straightaways, and it gets very aggravating. And it goes back to the Carl Larson thing. If people have respect for Carl, they'll simply move out of the way because they know he's going to do that for them one day.
2: Yeah, and one last thing is there's four lanes that you can race in in the corners, and I think with this reduced amount uh, of downforce that we'll see them utilizing all of that. But the corner still narrows up quite a bit on exit of turn two and turn four, and so you have to get in a lane at that particular time. And if you're not careful, if you're down on the inside, somebody's coming hard on the outside, that's where we see a lot of accidents happen. So there's a lot going on (laughs) up there, Carolyn.
1: Slugger, I'm sure you've seen the fear in a young driver's eyes as they maybe attempt to tackle that. (laughs) for the first time that jimmy johnson said in that last segment i think he described the racing surface as something like a slalom course and a concrete cage match or something to that effect it was poetic really but dj the actual racing surface itself if a driver who hasn't won there even a driver who has won there is going to try to master that to tackle that what is the key to the racing surface
2: I think the key, Carolyn, is something that I learned early on. Now, the concrete surface that's there now, uh, you never feel like that you really have your car down in or you have the grip that you want to really attack this place. But as I was in an Xfinity race and then it transferred over to the next day in the Cup race, I remember I was running fourth and Dick Trickle came by me like I was sitting still and I was running in the top five. But to see how hard he drove the car and how hard you had to drive to get the most out of it, that, that really opened my eyes. It's just how much you had to attack this racetrack. And so, drivers, you have to do that. If, if, your, if your car feels good, you're probably running somewhere back around 20th or 25th, because <laughs> it can't ever feel good if you're making time.
1: Well, as tough absolutely. as, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as tough as it's going to be for the drivers, the fans, you could say, DJ and Slugger are in for a real treat this weekend. They always are when we come to this track. It is a triple-header weekend of NASCAR at the Monster Mile. So here's your schedule. You can catch all the action over on FS1, and of course, it all culminates with that Big Cup Series race that we've talking about on Sunday. Coming up next, uh, we're going to change gears. We're going to hit the Xfinity series here, including a very funny video from Junior Motorsports that's on the way too when we come back. Welcome back to the Xfinity Series standings now. Elliot Sadler has been a NASCAR thoroughbred for many years. A 42-year-old entering Saturday's race at Dover with a six-point edge over junior motorsports teammate Justin Allgaier. You've got William Byron, Daniel Hemrick, Bubba Wallace rounding out the top five. Last year it was Wallace who finished second to race winner Eric Jones. That was good for his best ever series finish. Nate Ryan, back with us now. Nate, every Thursday on NBCSports.com, you guys spotlight an Xfinity driver. This week, it's Matt Tift. He's driving for JGR. He is the driver that discovered a brain tumor last year that he was able to have removed. He made a recovery. But what lesser-known details can you share with us about him and his story?
6: Well, Carolyn, Daniel McFadden, our writer, talked to Matt Tift this week, and he talked about what he went through about a year ago, which was that he was hearing strange voices strange whispers at night. He said there was eerie music that involved female pop singers, insert your own Mm -hmm. joke there. And while it might sound like a Stephen King novel or something that should be narrated by Rod Serling instead of your typical NASCAR story, it actually was indicative of something more serious. It was the signs of anxiety from having a brain tumor. So because of all those symptoms, Matt Tiff told Daniel that about a year ago he went and got checked out. They found that he had this brain tumor. And on July 1st, a year ago, they were able to have surgery that that removed it.
1: That was the most interesting part of the article for me was, Nate, all the anxiety that had come with that brain tumor. And now that it's uh, removed, he has made it clear that he's moved on. And while that's always a part of him, um, he's moving on to bigger and better things and trying to perform this year. How has this year been for him on and off the track?
6: I I think, Carolyn, it hasn't gone quite as well as he would have liked to his first Uh, full-time season in the Xfinity Series as a rookie. He's eighth in points. He's got two top tens. He's only led four laps. But when you consider the perspective that Matt Tift has now on life, Carolyn, I I think it's a different story. He he recently ran on a 5K uh, charity for brain tumor research. He went to Washington, D.C. last month to help lobby for increased funding for brain tumor research. So there have been no signs of complications from that surgery almost a year ago. And I think taking all of that as a whole, I I think it's still a pretty good season for Matt Tift, even though he isn't quite where he wants to be results-wise.
1: Let's stay in the Xfinity Series for just a minute because earlier today, Junior Motorsports had a little bit of fun at Kyle Busch's expense.
7: (sighs) The Charlotte races are over, and boy, did we accomplish a lot. We've all been so busy around here, nobody's had time to catch up but everybody's been acting so rude. I don't get it, did I miss something? Are you surprised that Justin won the poll at Charlotte Motor Speedway? And what do you think it means for him to get his first poll there?
0: I'm not surprised by anything. Congratulations.
7: See what I mean? That was rude. Hey Renee, so how was fan day? Were you were you like surprised at all by the turnout? I'm not surprised by anything. Does she realize the camera's on her right now? Can you believe we built and donated 100 bikes to Jackson Park Elementary and the kids were so surprised?
9: I'm not surprised by anything. Congratulations.
1: Seriously, someone send this girl to a timeout. All right, Kyle Bush is nothing if not polarizing, okay? His reach goes just about everywhere. I've said just about everything I want to say on the topic. Nate, I'll let you respond.
6: <laughs> well, I think this dovetails, Carolyn, with Dale Jr.'s irreverence on Twitter. Obviously, he's a co-owner of Junior Motorsports. We saw him post that surreptitiously taken video of Kyle Busch stumbling on Twitter uh, this week, and I think that his Xfinity team kind of mimics that role that he likes to play on Twitter, being a little bit of a, of a jokester, and uh, they do videos like this all the time at Junior Motorsports, and I think this is another example of them having fun.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of fun. All right, Nate, thank you very much. Uh, Dale Jr.'s Xfinity team looking like they're having a pretty fun time. What about on the Cup side, though? Dave Burns with the latest at Hendrick Motorsports when NASCAR America comes back. Seven-time cup champion Jimmy Johnson heading to Dover in search of his 11th career win at the Monster Mile. He is one of just five drivers in NASCAR history with at least 10 victories at a single track. And with more on the 48 and the rest of the Hendricks squad, we go to Dave Burns.
8: You certainly can't argue with the success that Jimmy Johnson has had at Dover, but what's going to get him back to victory lane for the first time since 2015? Will it be outright speed or will it be strategy like they almost played right last week at Charlotte? His teammates, winless in 2017, certainly hope it's going to be the former, that old speed that Jimmy's had, because they can build on that. Recall that last week at Charlotte, Dale Earnhardt Jr. got a lift from his teammate. Greg Ives, his crew chief, told me that they indeed did use the same setup that Jimmy Johnson had, identical to start with, just so that they could get feedback from both drivers and then move the setup to Jr.'s liking from there. And he said gains were made. As we moved on to Dover, he said, Dover is no time to go away from what works. And he knows exactly what works because he was the engineer on the 48 team for several of those wins in Jimmy's past. So they're going to go a similar direction that Jimmy does once again, and he said that's nothing new. We usually start about what the 48 does. As for Keith Rodden and Casey Kane on the 5 team, Keith seemed to agree. He said, we're going to go just like Jimmy ran last year. Now, Jimmy didn't win, but he led 90 laps in the 48 car, a good place to start. And Kane could certainly use a lift after last week's mechanical failure at Charlotte. And the rookie Chase Elliott, well, he certainly is going to play off of that data, everything that he can get out of it, and maybe a little bit of history. Back in 2007, Casey Mears won the Coke 600, and then the next week, Martin Truex won at Dover. They were both first-time winners. So, Chase will plan on being the second-in-a-row two-time winner in 2017, playing off of Austin Dillon's Coke 600 victory.
1: As we welcome our analyst back into the program, DJ, with Chase Elliott looking for his first ever win at this particular track, but also with the fact that he does have those third place finishes at this track in both of his Cup Series starts, how likely do you think it is that he may just end up in victory lane at Dover on Sunday?
2: I think it's a, a great opportunity for him and a great chance that that may happen, especially since he got all his bad luck out of the way in the first five months of this year, because I'm not <laughs> sure anybody has had worse luck than that young man. He has fast race cars. He's very talented. He showed last year that he adapted very well to a cup car at Dover, which is not easy to do. And I think that that could happen here in these next three weeks, I think is a g- very, very good chance that we won't be talking about Chase Elliott's first victory anymore when he might get that. And it could come as soon as this week some people adapt to dover very quickly and others don't but chase is one of those that that really feels i feel like in watching him there that he understands how to attack this track
6: and i feel like dj whenever we bring up chase Elliott's name these days mm-hmm. when we talk about windless drivers we also bring up ryan blaney's name yes. and i i think that he certainly will be in the mix this weekend i will say one caveat here is that Ford actually has not won a race at Dover since 2011, which surprised wow. me when you consider the way Kozlowski and Logano have run recently. But I still think Slugger. I think that Ryan Blaney could be in the mix. I mean, the Wood Brothers Racing team certainly has shown that they are very closely aligned with Penske, and we know how fast those cars run.
3: Absolutely. The thing I like about the young drivers, and I say Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and um, the 42 driver, they their demeanor is Like no other. I mean, they have good parents, and and they've taught them the right way to talk to people. You never hear them getting excited. You never hear them having confrontations with other drivers. They just go on the racetrack and drive. And I'm sure that Dave Blaney has gotten after Ryan, and Bill uh, has given Chase an awful lot of advice of how to act on and off the track. And obviously, you see it paying off for them, guys.
1: Yeah, so Chase still seeking that first career win. It can be elusive, as we've seen in the past. His teammate, though, Dale Earnhardt Jr., has won before, and he's already getting a taste, apparently, of how good retirement is going to eventually be. Jr. and his wife, Amy, able to jet set to Honduras this week before Dover. They had some family over there, so they made a trip, and they also made some new friends, it looks like, from the animal kingdom in the process. Way to go. If you can do it, do it. All right, coming up on NASCAR America, we are going to take a trip of our own. We're going to stay inside the United States, though, for this particular trip. We're going to Oregon. It's the home of a driver who defines the term longevity, and the state also the place where one cup series star cut his teeth on the way up the ladder. Well, Herschel McGriff's NASCAR story is truly unique the Oregon Natives career began in 1950 at the inaugural Southern 500 and that began a journey which lasted an amazing 62 years it is a journey which came to an end in 2012 when McGriff made his final NASCAR start at Sonoma at the young age of 84 years old he was a four-time winner in the NASCAR Cup series and he added 35 more victories along with a series championship in what is now known as the KNN Pro series west and McGriff's hometown of Bridal is located about a half hour east from Oregon's largest city of Portland and if you go just about 25 miles west of Portland that is where you're going to find Sunset Speedway. This quarter mile dirt track has been exciting fans since 1986. Doug Walters, a local racer, owned Sunset Speedway from 2004 until his untimely death in 2008. But his son, Greg, has carried on the family legacy there. In fact, he won the race, which bears his father's name, the Doug Walters Classic, for seven consecutive years. And some of NASCAR's best have taken laps at the Bullring. That includes our friend Greg Biffle. Here he is in the number 16, showcasing his skills on the Sunset Dirt in front of an absolutely packed house. A great shot there at sunset. Next week, we're going to continue our tour of 50 states and 50 shows. We are going to be making stops in Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and also South Carolina. So make sure you're with us for that. Back next, though, we are going to Delaware. The Monster Mile has had its share of monster moments. We're going to take a look at the top five Dover crashes and what drivers we should be watching for this weekend. So So Dover International Speedway serving up a full plate of NASCAR this weekend. Here's the schedule, all three national series in action. If you can't be at the track, by the way, you can catch everything on FS1. So just turn on your TV. Meantime, time now to check out the top five crashes at Dover. Here's number five, the spring of 2016, Jimmy Johnson causing a big pile-up DJ on the restart.
2: Yeah, just couldn't get going. This is a tough place to get going, but it was like his car stumbled, couldn't get going. But there's nowhere for anybody else to go. We talk about this all the time, but caused a huge crash.
1: Number four in the Truck Series 2011, slugger Ricky Carmichael losing control, slamming the wall in turns
3: three and four. Yeah, obviously, Ricky got loose in the middle of the corner, overcorrected, went straight up into the fence. And thank God for the safer barrier and the safety innovations inside of these NASCAR vehicles.
1: Yeah, you can say that again. Uh, Number three, 1995 Cup Series, John Andretti losing it on lap three, the big crash. Also collecting you, DJ, among the 19 cars. And I'm pretty sure Kyle Petty, some guy we know, won that day.
2: Yeah, KP was able to miss all that. And when I saw this happening, I felt that twinge in my back from that crash, too, once again.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Number two, 2011 x Series, Joey Logano losing it, battling Carl Edwards for the win, coming to the white flag. Clint Boyer nearly flipping over the pit wall.
3: Yes, that was a heck of a crash for sure. And the interesting thing to note, a rule change was made because of that crash. The right rear spring actually came out of that car and hit a crew member on pit road. And NASCAR since then uh, instituted a safety spring tether.
1: Oh wow, that's great! Uh, number one here, Nate. 2009 Cup Series of rookies welcome for Joey Logano here, courtesy of the one and only to- Tony Stewart. Barrel rolling him in turn three.
6: Yeah, this crash Carolyn, put Joey Logano on the, all the national morning shows on Monday, and uh, unfortunately for his rookie season, this this was pretty much the highlight that got showed the most from Joey Logano's first year in Cup.
1: Looks so young and fresh-faced at that time. Is it going to be a young driver who is going to get a win this weekend, his first win? Who are you guys watching for this weekend? DJ, we'll start with you.
2: Well, I just said I thought Chase Elliott might do that, and I'd be crazy not to pick Jimmy Johnson, wouldn't I? So I am crazy. I'm going Matt Kenseth. I think experience (laughs) says a lot at this racetrack. It's uh, where Matt made his first start in a cup car. Uh, He won there. He's won there recently, uh, just last year. So uh, I really think that it's time for Matt Kenseth to get back to victory lane. He's so good, so patient, understands what it takes to, to get to victory lane. And if there's a driver out there that really needs something good to happen, it would be Matt Kenseth. So maybe they can put it all together this weekend
6: I'm, I'm gonna go with kyle bush dj for a few reasons one i picked him like seven straight weeks in a row and then he want the all-star race so i figure i'll just pick him again until he wins and also i thought this would be a good way to stay on carolyn Mano's good side so kyle <laughs> bush to win at dover
1: you are such a liar you're not you're picking him because you don't want to face his wrath at the media center
3: you're right <laughs> slugger
1: slugger who are you picking
3: I'm going to go with New Jersey native Martin Truex Jr. He's the point leader. Just got that point lead after the 600. And typically, if you run good at Charlotte, your setup and your mentality will work good at Dover, Uh, they have nothing to gain. All all that matters to this team right now is stage wins and getting to that checkered flag first.
1: All right. So, DJ, let me get this straight. We just spent uh, 90 minutes talking about Jimmy Johnson and not a single one of you is going to say (laughs) that he can win at Dover. Do I have
2: that right? Yeah, we didn't get these jobs because we were smart, Carolyn. They just they <laughs> needed somebody that could talk for 90 minutes here. So, we're just doing it. I mean, he's definitely the man to beat when you go there. And a lot of things are going to happen. And I think the thing that we have to point out – this race, 400 miles and three different stages during this. I think that could change the way that you go about attacking this race and things you do on pit road.
6: You know, it's crazy to say this, DJ, but he actually hasn't been that great there the last couple of starts. And I don't know if that's because they've lost their magic a little bit slugger. It's hard to pick against a guy who's won 10 times at one track. But it does seem as if the, he, he hasn't been as formidable the last few trips. I mean, certainly Truex was the dominant car last fall.
3: The only thing that's the same going to Dover this this week is the tires. It's it's the same tire we ran both race in 2016, but all it takes is one simple mistake to ruin your day. A pit road speeding penalty, a loose slug, and you have to repeat again. Anything like that can ruin your day. Uh, it's going to take perfection to win this race come Sunday.
1: A slugger quickly. Kevin Harvick. he might have a shot at it this weekend.
3: I think so. He runs really well there and they're looking for their first win and Rodney Childers has a great setup for there. They've run uh, extremely well in the past and I, I look for them to be strong. But again, I'm still going to go with my man, Martin Truex Jr. Yeah,
2: well, we've seen Harvick dominate there. I mean, especially when they had to, to move on in the playoffs, able to do that. And they're at a point right now that a win would be huge for that organization and that team
3: and driver in particular. For sure. We're getting to this. It could be possible this year, Dale and Nate, that there's going to be 16 winners yeah. by the time we get to Richmond. Right. So it's going to be really interesting when we get towards the end, the end of the season. All
1: right, well, I'm going to go ahead and watch the race from my couch this weekend. Nate, Godspeed as you go and hope for a Kyle <laughs> Bush victory. Appreciate it, Let me know what happens in the media center. That's going to do it for today's NASCAR America. We're going to be back again on Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you then. For all the latest news, you can always go to NBCSports.com. Have a great weekend.